as we kick off the lesson, uh, last week uh, we talked about the very, we kicked off our series on First Peter. And, and, and we kicked off this series, one, because it's a short enough book that it wasn't going to take me two years to teach you guys. Uh, but also, uh, with everything going on in the world right now, it's very important that we all train ourselves, teach ourselves, how we can be spiritual leaders, how we can be spiritual fathers in these times. And the times that, or, or the culture, or the different occurrences that were happening at the time that Peter's writing this letter to the early church, are very similar to ours in many ways. Uh, The people are not dealing, the Christians, the early church at the time, are not dealing with physical persecution at this point in time, but they're dealing with a lot of social persecution, social ostracism, uh, and, and just the way of living the Christian life looked different than the culture they had just come out of, and people are pushing back against that. So they're trying to figure out how do you live in that time frame? And what we talked about this week is you think about the year ahead of us, the, the election cycle going on, the, the diverging culture that's going on. Uh, if you listen to Cole and Terry and the So We Speak podcast, they were making predictions for 2020. And one illustration I really liked is, is Cole was talking about, you know, maybe 10 years ago, you could be part of the culture and be a Christian and look no different. Right, you could if if the culture was the shore and being a Christian was a boat right off the shore, you could straddle that and you could really all look and feel the same way. Well, over the last ten years, that's really diverged, and so sooner or sooner or later, you've got to pick a pick where to be, right? Whether you're going to be in the boat or or just staying with the culture or going with the culture, and so we're starting to see a big divergence right now, and it, it makes it even more important for us to make sure that as we're trying to figure out how to live this life, how to, how to be leaders, that we're not following something that's drifting off. We're following something that stays static. We're following the Word of God. We're making sure our Lord is Jesus Christ. So that's what we're trying to do uh, with, this, with this series. Last week, what we talked about is, is we set context. We, we wanted to make sure just like Peter did, we want to make sure we understood just how incredibly fortunate we are that we live in the time that we live in. We talked about living in the time of the comma, right? That, that Jesus Christ has come and fulfilled the prophecy to redeem his people. Uh, we're living in between that time where, where Christ has come and died for us and before the coming judgment. We're living in that, in that time where where the kingdom is coming and his people are being brought back into relation, communion uh, with God. It's a great time to be alive, but it also means that we're going to be dealing with suffering, right? We're, we're still in this world, even though that now that we are in Christ, we are not of this world. So that was really where we went to last week, and we just wanted to make sure that we believed that lesson last week, that, that what we talked about, that we believed it to be true, because you really have to understand that context. And that's okay because it was Boomer Sooner. So uh, we, we have to believe that context uh, because if we don't, it's going to be really hard to be obedient to something you don't believe. So what we're going to do this week is we're going to finish up chapter 1 uh, of First Peter. And I want to I start off by talking about Peter just a little bit. We really didn't talk about the author last week at all. So at your tables, I want you guys to just share, what is it that you know about this guy named Peter? Go ahead and talk for a minute or two, and we'll, we'll bring it back. All right, we'll kind of start bringing it back here. Anyone learn anything fascinating Peter, about Peter from your uh, group? Anything you want to share? Was Peter always perfect? No. Why was Peter not always perfect? 
What did he do that was kind of the claim, Peter's claim to fame? That Denied Christ three times, right? That's not the best resume builder uh, as a leader of the church, right? Yeah, Peter was not always perfect, right? You got time and time again, he keeps making mistakes through the Gospels, right? You just, you see it a lot. I mean, and then, I mean, the biggest one, you know, he denies Christ three times. Uh, he experiences the grace of Christ. It's just a beautiful passage whenever you see, you know, Jesus really forgive Peter. And he goes, I told you, I told you to go fish, or I told you to go fishing for men. You're back here on the pond. He says, do you love me three times, right? So you see, you see Jesus really show him such incredible grace, right? And, And a lot of people would say that the only difference between Peter and Judas is that Peter repented right? Uh, Peter failed in, in almost a, as horrific of a way. I mean, so, so you see them both have these issues. And then all of a sudden, you look up and Peter's this incredible leader in the church. Now, he makes a, he, he makes a couple of mistakes in the book of Acts, right? As we're, as we're learning about Peter as a leader in the church, as he's going and bringing the message, uh, especially to the Jewish people at the time, he makes some mistakes as well. But he seems to continually be transformed throughout his life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And by the time he dies, he looks an awful lot like Christ, doesn't he? Just in, in, in his behaviors, in his leadership, in, in how pure his heart is. Now, one of the most famous things about Peter, at least something that really helps me in my faith, in, in all honesty, is, is how he died. And, and how, how almost everyone who followed Christ at that point in time died. But in, in particular, Peter. To know how Peter failed in his courage to, to say, Christ is my Lord, I am in him at the, during Christ's life. But, but afterwards, how Peter actually died. Does anyone know how he died? He was being crucified and he goes, I do not even deserve to die the way my master deserved, Right? And he goes, hang me upside down on the cross, right? So you, just, you think about that. That is the same guy who denied Christ three times. And so you see this sequence in the events of Peter's life that I think unfold in this passage here today. You see that he gets to experience grace, and he has hope in the grace that he gets to experience. He then becomes holy. He's set apart, and he's obedient in his holiness, and then there's an outcome that you see where he really resembles Christ, right? He, he has love just pouring out of him at the end of his life. And that's really a sequence that we see in the Christian life. We experience the grace of Christ through our faith. We get to have hope in Christ, a hope that is eternal. He then calls us to be set apart from the world. And, and he uses our obedience to continue to, to work with us. The Holy Spirit will utilize our obedience to him to transform us. And then the outcome of that is love, right? Actual love, Christ-like love. Not love of the world, but Christ-like love. And so you see that play out here in this text. Uh, And I just want to, let me read uh, this text, and then we're going to break down the passages here. And so I I color-coded this for you to kind of show you the, 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 the parts where Peter's talking about hope, the parts where he's talking about holiness, and then the outcome, that love being the outcome. So I'll just read the whole text real quick here. Verse 13 in chapter 1 starts out by saying, Therefore, just real quick, anytime you see a therefore, you always need to go back and remember why therefore, right, in the Bible. So remember all the context we had last week. Just, Just think about the incredible gift we have to be in this time to experience the grace of Christ. He's saying, therefore. 
Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as a father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is a good news that was preached to you. So right there at the top, he's talking about hope. Uh, hope and and one of the things that, that I really appreciate is that he says, "Prepare your minds for action and be sober minded be sober minded and and whenever you hear sober minded what he 's really saying is, I want you to be intentional about this, have forethought, have self control right be sober minded as you put your hope fully on Christ. This is an intellectual exercise. Right, this is not just emotion. He's saying, make sure you understand the grace of Christ and put your hope on that. I, the, the word sober-minded kept coming back to me over and over and over again as I read this text. And, and for me personally, I, I don't drink very often. Uh, and, and I know it's, it's like blasphemy for a, pa- for a pastor to actually say that every now and then he does drink. But I, I don't drink very often. Uh, and one of the reasons I don't is because I cannot stand the feeling of being out of control. Uh, it absolutely kills me to ever feel like I'm out of control. My biggest nightmare at times, I have this recurring nightmare where I'm in a vehicle and I have lost control of the vehicle and I'm going too fast around a, cur- a curve. That feeling of being out of control uh, just kills me. And it probably makes sense why I'm the director of finance and administration uh, if I have control issues, right? But, but one of those things about being sober-minded, he's saying, I want you to be in control of your thoughts. I want you to be in control of how you're approaching the throne, right? Make sure you're being sober-minded about that. And why so? If you, if you flip down there to verse 18, he says, you've been redeemed. Remember what you're putting your hope in. Uh, people of this world may put their hope in certain things, but you've been redeemed by something special. You were ransomed, not with perishable things but with imperishable you weren't bought with gold and silver things that crumble in this world right you were bought with the blood of christ absolutely the 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 only thing that could redeem us uh, from our sins that is what you were bought with put your hope in that because it's just there's nothing else that can describe it and so think about redemption just a little bit if you go back to our story of ruth 
for just a minute. And remember, Ruth in, in was a manifestation of the gospel story. Uh, God played that out through there. Ruth and Naomi were completely desperate in need of something, and they could not save themselves. And they were redeemed by the only person who could truly redeem them in that scenario being Boaz. And so we have been redeemed in the only way we can be redeemed, which was with a perfect, unblemished lamb, the blood of Christ. And so because of that, if we're intentional with how we think about it, we can put our hope in that. And you remember, you know, tie back to the lesson last week, you know, the prophets were looking at this time to come. The angels longed to look at this. This is something very, very special that we get to experience. It's worth us putting our hope in. My question to you is, if we get back to, whenever you study the Bible, you always want to make sure you know what the original readers of the text were going through. Uh, you don't want to jump straight to your application, right? You want to know, what did the people who were reading this letter from Peter, what were they dealing with? Why was Peter writing this? What were they going through? And he's talking a lot about hope in this passage and why they should be putting their hope in Christ. What do you think these guys were putting their hope in? So, so just think about it. Try to put yourself in the shoes of this early church spread throughout what is now modern-day Turkey. you got Jewish people and uh, you know, old Jewish people and Gentiles coming together to form a church. What do you guys think they may have been putting their hope in at that point in time? Feel free to just call it out. Any thoughts? Well, yeah, well, well, well so think, think about, um, think about what, what they may have been dealing with and what people around them were putting their hope in. That's probably a better way to phrase the question. Uh, because remember, this is a story of conflict, right? There's conflict going on between the early church and the culture all around them. Let me rephrase the question. What do you think the people in the culture around them may have been putting their hope in at this time? Traditions? Yeah, think about it. I mean, you see Jesus call out the Jewish elders time and time again because they're putting their hope on traditions and customs that they had built on top of the word, right? Not the actual word of God itself. Yeah. So some people, you've got, you've got false teaching coming that there's actually going to be a Messiah that would come that would be a, a, a royal figure, a military figure. Yep. I think false gods, you've got all kinds of that going on around. Remember, this is the time of the Roman gods, right? So, so you've got a lot of people all around them that are going to be saying, you know, why are you not bowing down to this God? We're putting our hope in this God. And even something more simply, I, I suspect what you'll find is that there was a lot of people at this time, maybe in the church, maybe outside the church, who are putting their faith or putting their hope in their money, right? Uh, in their family, uh, in their friends, Right, I mean, you're going to have a lot of that. A lot of people put their hope in economic security. And, and that was the same then as it is right now. Uh, what we are dealing with today is really no different, right? Absolutely no different. Uh, back then, you would have people who were putting their hope in the Roman emperor. You would have people who were putting their hope in their, in their local magistrate. You would have their people putting their hope in whatever money they had been able to store or whatever alliances they may have. We are dealing with the same things today. Right now in particular, uh, we have a lot of people who are putting their hope in political officials. Uh, and, and just this, this is not anything that's completely, un, completely new, but if you go back and you look at how most presidential campaigns go, a, a presidential candidate is going to run on one of two platforms. The platform's either going to be that I'm a modern-day messiah or it's going to be I'm a modern-day strongman. 
Uh, you go back through presidential candidates, it's normally what you'll see. Uh, if you think about this, just and I'm not criticizing any political party here, but if you think about how Obama ran his campaign, it was a very inspirational, emotive, hope and change, put your trust in me and I can save you from these situations. And then Trump ran a very different campaign. He ran much more of a strongman campaign. Put, my ho- put your hope in the strongman who has the strength to, to, to stand up to the swamp, to stand up to you know, whatever may be attacking the tribe. Right? You normally see presidential candidates fall into one of those two spheres. And, and honestly, it's very easy to follow one of those two ways of thought. Either follow somebody who's really making a modern-day messianic, you know, and I'm saying that, a savior, a savior principle, uh, or follow the strongman. We revert back to some of our natural instincts to follow the strongman. So it's easy for us today to put our full hope on our political candidates. Uh, It's easy for us to put our full hope on whatever money we have in the bank account. None of that has changed. If there's any application here, I want to make sure we always know that what we're called to do as Christians is to put our full hope on Christ alone, right? Not to compromise anything, to put our full hope on Christ alone. And that's what Peter is trying to convey here uh, to the early church. He says, whatever you thought you were putting your hope on, it's imperish or it's perishable, right? That hope will fail you. The person will fail you. Your money will fail you. Christ is the only thing that will not fail you. So put your hope there. And so whenever you get past that point, if you kind of sit and say, I've got my hope in Christ because I now have faith in Christ, you then enter into this next sequence, which is all about holiness. And this concept of holiness is nothing new in the Bible. Uh, The words you saw that were written here in this text where it says, you shall be holy for I am holy, that comes from Leviticus, right? So if you you think about what happened in in, in that time frame, Whenever uh, Moses brings the people out of Egypt and uh, God gives him the commandments, gives him the law, and he's, he's issuing the commandments, whenever you read the book of Leviticus, you'll read over and over and over again, you shall be holy for I am holy. And let's switch out the words just a little bit. It, what, what God's really saying is, you shall be set apart because I am set apart. I think I've told you guys before, but the very first time I read Leviticus all the way through, I was ready to turn away from God. Uh, I was, I, I read it, and I go, this is, this is not right. Uh, there is some just wrong, this, this cannot be the God that I grew up with, the little flannel board in Sunday school class. This is not my God. And uh, so I read it, and I went to a, a pastor I was working with at the time, and he put his arm around me, and he goes, he goes, when you read Leviticus, just hear, I am holy so you shall be holy, right? And, 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 just, and just as I, as I soaked that in, it really helped me. God is saying, I have taken you out of Egypt. I am setting you apart. You will become a light unto all nations. To be a light unto all nations, can you look like all the other nations? No, absolutely not. I am going to set you apart. And to, to, to make you set apart, I'm not going to give you a physical appearance. I'm not going to give you, you know, a dot on your, on, on your arm. I'm not going to do anything like that. I'm going to set you apart because you're going to be obedient to my ways. And, and what we see happening here in this sequence is, is as we are obedient, 
The Holy Spirit works with us to refine us, to sanctify us, is the way we say it in church, to make us more and more like the image of Christ. But Peter's saying, mark my words, you need to be obedient to the ways of God. Right? You can't just go back to that illustration of, of having one foot on the ledge and one foot on the boat. Right? You've got to keep your feet planted into the ways of God or else you are not going to be set apart. Uh, and God uses us when we're set apart. I, I, I think in particular, guys, right now, we have such an amazing opportunity uh, to show what it truly looks like to follow Christ. Because like I said, you were able to mask it for so long what it looked like to follow Christ. And now, if you really follow Christ, not only is it going to look different, but there are so many people who are going to look at that and say, that is what I want. Right? They have joy. There seems to be a peace there. There, there. There's a love there that doesn't make sense. That is what I want. But you can't do that by just blending in with everything else. You have to be set apart with God's purposes. So uh, the... The thing I'd like us to talk about our groups in this section, though, is there's a phrase that is used in here that that really convicted me. And right there in verse 14, he says this. Peter goes, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. And that really just hurts just a little bit. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. And how easy it is to be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, especially when you lived your entire life being conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. If you listen to Cole and Terry on So We Speak, the mission statement of So We Speak is to be informed without being conformed, right? It is so easy to be conformed to the passions of our, our former ignorance. So I'm going to ask you to get just a little bit personal. And I just want you to talk to your group about what is it that you struggle with where it is difficult to not stay conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Talk about that for just a few minutes, and then we'll come back. Well, um, I'm not going to ask anyone to share uh, openly with the entire group that, but, but I was very pleased, actually, to hear all the conversation on that. Long story short, we all struggle with something, right? All of us do. Um, it's very, very hard not to continue to be conformed to our former ignorance, I'll tell you, for me personally, I, I, I have a hard time at times not allowing my opinion to be more important than actual truth. And, and this is just, it's an odd thing to say, but, but I've always tried to be the smartest in the room, tried to be, make sure my, my whatever I decided was going to be the way, uh, whatever I needed. If truth got in the way of that, you know, especially back when I was in the business world, you know, sometimes it was one of those, those deals of, of, you know, the the means or the the ends justified the means to a certain extent and and so that is an ignorant way to live life and i always joke that that um we're we're, i'm going to run a presidential campaign called blake and 28 so you guys can go ahead and get going but i was watching i was watching uh blake and I, i mean i've got the logo we're ready to go so um, I'm taking campaign manager applications. So yeah, other, yeah, yeah, we're not going, but I was watching, I was watching the democratic debate last night and just to understand that and, and try to watch through. And it was one of those deals where every presidential debate I watch, uh, whether it be Republican or democratic, uh, it's like watching professional wrestling. And, and I'll say, I'll say you watch it because you know a, a punch or two are going to get thrown. Somebody may get hurt. 
And at the end of the day, everybody knows it's fake. So it's just one of those deals where you watch it. And I thought to myself watching, I go, these guys, not all. There was a couple people on stage who I really thought tried to be truthful. But for the most part, they just did a very eloquent job of lying to us. And, 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 I, and I'm not saying that. I, I watch other party platforms do the same thing. So I'm not making a political stance on this. But I just watch it, and you can tell, making promises that nobody can keep. Republicans do the same thing. And, and you, you just go through this, and I'm just sitting there going, if I was running, if it was Blake in 28, and I was up there on that debate stage, and I knew that the best chance for me to get elected was to promise everybody everything, to make whatever, you know, make whatever outlandish claims that the executive branch doesn't even have the power to do, would I do it? Would I do it? Would I, or, or would I would sit there and say, no, truth matters more. The way of Christ matters more than me compromising my integrity and my obedience to Christ. And, and we're not obedient to Christ because we want to experience his grace, right? We're obedient to Christ because we have experienced his grace, right? We've experienced his love. The reaction from us should be, yes, I want to be obedient to you. And then I can't wait to see what you do through that obedience. Because we see what the outcome is here in this text, right? The outcome of that obedience is, is in verse 22, it says, having purified your souls by your obedience. Purified your souls. Think about this. We've talked about this a lot in here. A refining process. You've had something, and I have stripped away all the impurities by your obedience, which means you've suffered in the midst of your obedience. But by having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another, one another earnestly from what? What comes from it? A pure heart, right? A pure heart. Love, actual pure love comes out of this. And, and love is not what we sometimes say love is. It's not kindness. It's not affection. It's not friendliness. It's not, it's not whatever word you want to assign to it. Love is a love that can only come from Christ because it's a God-like love. It's the love we learned about in the story of Ruth and Naomi. Right? It's self-sacrificial, not, expect, not expecting anything in return. It, it's the love that husbands ought to show to their wives and wives ought to show to their husbands. That is the love that comes as we are purified and sanctified through obedience in the word. But, but may, what I want to make sure we don't miss from this lesson today is there is an expectation of obedience. The text is not unclear here in any way. God will work through that obedience. And we must be willing to know that when we do that, we're going to look different from the world. Just especially today, you're going to look different from the world. Be ready for it. But that in itself will help purify for a much more pure product at the end of the day. I pray a prayer often. And the prayer that I pray is that God would move in ways that don't make sense. And we talked about this, I think, back when we did our Nehemiah lesson in here. I pray a prayer that God would move in ways that just don't make sense. Uh, if, if we all subscribe to what is being taught here in First Peter, we will accomplish one of the, the mission statements or the vision statements of this church, which is to be a church known by love. I pray this prayer that God would move in such a way that we actually are known by love because I think that the community outside of here and the community inside of here would look upon that and say that that is not possible by the hands of man. That is only possible because God is involved. And that is such an incredible thing to be able to offer 
that to everyone around for them to get to experience the hope and the grace and the love that comes from a relationship with Christ. And you just never know who God is putting in your path to be the person who's going to shine that light. And so we love that we get to experience grace in Christ. We love that we are justified in Christ. Do not neglect the fact that he will utilize your obedience each and every day. Make sense? All right. So just be completely obedient to the word this week and we'll pick up Next week. Sound good? All right. Let me pray for us and we'll get out of here. Uh, Father, I thank you so much for these men. I thank you for the time. I thank you that you protected our church this weekend, uh, that you protected Marty and everyone who was with him. Uh, I ask for your wisdom as you continue to help us lead in whatever endeavors you give us. May what we be about is you. May we hold true to whatever it is that you tell us to hold true to. We trust in your wisdom, not the wisdom of whatever the world is saying today, which will be different tomorrow. We trust in your unchanging word, knowing that that is what we can hold strong to. May you be with each man. Help them have the strength to persevere through the challenges of life. May you not allow them to be distracted with the busyness of life and whatever tribulations they're enduring. Ask that you help us be good leaders, and may we come back here next week ready to engage with you again. In Jesus' name, amen. Remember to read First Peter again this week if you can, and we'll uh, pick back up next week.